It's a pleasure to share the Word of God with you tonight on this subject where 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6 tells me that to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, I am supposed to teach you against the lies and heresies of the Roman Catholic Church. Amen. For those that are visiting tonight, and I care for you very much, you are missing out on three sermons that preceded this. First of all, from Daniel chapter 7, where there's a very important prophecy about the little horn of Rome that would rise and make war against the saints of the Most High God. It's the Roman Catholic Church. It was always believed to be the Roman Catholic Church until the last 150 years of the novel writers like Tim LaHaye and others who have made up the uh, left-behind stuff. Then we had a sermon on the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That was always believed to be the popes of Rome as well until the last 150 years. I was speaking with a brother at break time and how the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is in the back of your red hymnals, has had some phrases deleted from it because all the creeds, of whether they're Baptist or Presbyterian or anyone else, they all knew that the man of sin, the little horn of Rome, and the Antichrist were the popes of Rome. But Rome has done a very effective job of either teaching churches futurism, which is popular among independent Baptists, that everything's out in the future, and so all the heat is off of Rome, and they miss Rome, and the churches are filled with Roman abominations. Or it's the prophetic school of interpretation called preterism, where everything was fulfilled in 70 A.D., and so the pressure and heat is off Rome as well. I would hope that any visitors or any of our members that have not yet read the little blue book by Ralph Woodrow entitled Great Prophecies of the Bible will try to do so. There are copies just inside that door there, and I would love you to take them home. And so when we say buy the truth, you don't have to buy the book because the church has already done that for you, but you've got to buy the truth by reading it. Right. And I, I would love to encourage you to read it. Is Catholicism Antichrist? From top to bottom. It would take weeks and weeks and hours and hours to cover all the heresies and lies of Roman Catholicism. And we're just going to be able to touch a few. And this is an elementary presentation because we have children here. And I want to make it as interesting as possible with lots of pictures. And I hope that they will remember things as to why we are what we are. We are Baptists. We have always been outside the pale of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, we are not Protestants. We did not come out of the Reformation because we knew that Rome was not reformable. We have come from John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his apostles. And we're thankful. There were always churches scattered in the mountains and hills and catacombs of Europe that were hiding from the Roman Catholic Church during the time she made war against the saints of the Most High. Here we go. Is Catholicism Antichrist? Why do we even ask the question? Rome and the world declare that Roman Catholicism is Christian. You look at an almanac and it says they're Christians. 1.1 billion of them, one-sixth of the earth's population, Roman Catholic Christians. The Bible says that the popes are the man of sin and the Antichrist. Right. And we've, we've already laid that groundwork before, and I offered a book that contains all that research for you. And we're just going to have to slide on over it. Good ministers must preach against it. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. I appreciate the response also by some that had not noticed that sixth verse and how important it is that for me to be faithful, I need to preach against the lies of Roman Catholicism. The Bible is an anti-Catholic book. It has so many statements in it 
that are directly opposed to the heresies of Rome and its fables. Any prophetic scheme of future events that misses Rome and does not emphasize Roman Catholicism is clearly false. Because it's missed the greatest enemy of the saints and of the churches of Jesus Christ to make up an enemy that's not going to be the enemy of anyone. The futurism is absolutely bankrupt from top to bottom. They have some antichrist coming in the future, but according to them, the saints have already been removed from the earth, so he cannot make war against the saints of God. So there is no war. It's, it's incredibly pitiful. When for a thousand, two, twelve hundred and sixty years we had martyrs being pulled apart by racks, being burnt to stake, fed to lions, drowned in rivers, and so forth at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church. Why the question? Because we need to know her abominations so that we can avoid them as a faithful church of Jesus Christ. Not everything or everyone that claims to be a Christian is a Christian. We want to hold apostolic tradition on everything. We do believe in tradition, but not the tradition of Rome or the popes or priests or Catholicism, but the tradition of the apostles. And we want to remind ourselves that we are bound to give thanks always that God has delivered us from the strong delusion that He has sent upon Catholics for them to believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. And we want to learn why God hates Catholicism so much that he would rank it the way he does and call it the man of sin, the son of perdition, the great whore, and describe about burning her flesh and feeding her to the beasts, the fowls of the air. Right. Let's, let's start out with uh, sedia gestatoria. Now those are Latin words for how the Pope is carried about. I was born in 1957. This was the Pope that was reigning in the Roman Catholic Church when I was born. This is Pope Pius Twelfth. He's carried in the shoulders of 12 men and led through the streets just like he was a Caesar. And this is the lowly vicar of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the Roman Catholic Church. This is the poor pastor, the humble and modest man that leads the Roman Catholic Church back in those years. And there's its Latin expression for how the Pope is carried about on that litter. Here's an up close of the same man sitting on that litter, Pope Pius XII. I want you to notice something here, and I'm going to make reference to it again if my mind will remind me. But I want you to see that he wears three crowns. You know, one crown isn't good enough for a pope because they exalt themselves above all that is called God or that is worshipped in the earth. And they make kings come and kneel before them in order to gain repentance, forgiveness, or to be crowned. But I want you to notice that ornate robe and all that goes with it, and he's up there on the shoulders of men. Here they are carrying him. There's their shoulders. Let's keep going. What does the Bible have to say about it? Jesus said about the Pharisees, all their works they do for to be seen of men. You know, they love to be seen of men. And they love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogue. Would you say that litters the chief seat in that parade that you just saw? The popes were carried this way until 1978 when they began using cars in the Pope Mobile. Don't laugh. Pope Mobile is a real word. It's in your dictionary if you've got a real dictionary. Jesus said the greatest in his kingdom were the servants. Wonderful verse. You want to be great? Then learn how to serve other people. Get down and serve them. Be their gopher. They're the great ones in the kingdom of heaven because the Lord Jesus Christ was the great servant for us. The Pope should be carrying a child or a janitor if he was a Christian. He shouldn't be carried on the shoulders of 12 other men. There's the Pope Mobile. If you thought I was just making that up, there he is passing in front of the White House. I hope you can see him smiling and waving in there. And I hope that makes you feel warm and fuzzy tonight. 
Purple and scarlet, interesting colors. Here's the funeral of Pope John Paul II just seven years ago. We had occasion to think about that event in this church back then. But there's the uh, College of Cardinals and there's the archbishops of the world gathered together with uh, Pope Benedict XVI presiding over his funeral. Purple and scarlet. Purple and scarlet. Do you understand the colors? Scarlet is red, children. It's right here. See? Red. And this is purple. Those are the archbishops. Purple and scarlet. What does the Bible have to say? Is there anything special about these colors? The Bible says that the great whore, the enemy of the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, the woman, which in the Bible is a picture of a church. If she's a chaste and virgin woman, it's the true church. If she's a whore, then she's a false church. If she's the great whore, then she's the mother whore of little harlot churches. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. Isn't that amazing? Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet. Now when the Bible says in Revelation chapter 18, that great city, the last verse of Revelation chapter 17 tells John that that great city is the city that reigns over the kings of the earth. When John was writing the book of Revelation, what city reigned over the kings of the earth? It has four letters. It starts with R. You don't get two guesses. Rome. What about gold and precious stones? Because it said gold and precious stones back here. You know, I've left them out. Precious stones and pearls. Do the popes have any of those things? What about gold and precious stones? Well, there's Pope Benedict XVI up close. Now, there's a whole lot of gold and there's some stones, but we're going to get some close-ups of him real soon here and see what he wears. There's another close-up picture of him. Any gold in those items that he's holding and wearing? Lots of gold. Look at his, look at his, uh, let's see. It's not a silver ring, is it? Right there, and this is not silver, and this is not silver, and this is not silver. I guess it's just his skin that's not gold. The, here's the triple tiara that they wear. This is a, an interesting crown. I want you to notice that it's very, very popular in the Roman Catholic Church. The triple tiara, let's call it the Pope's modest crown. That he's only king of three things compared to other kings who are only king of one thing. They're king of a nation. What about gold, precious stones? Is the picture good enough from there? Or do you need it like this? To know that uh, the popes have a little bit of gold and precious stones in their regalia. Look at those three crowns on top of each other. That's why it's called the triple tiara or the tiara, meaning three crowns stacked on top of each other. Amazing. There's another, there's another one. I want to tell you that John Paul II, when he took office to show his great humility, took his tiara and sold it and gave the money to the poor, preserving the 22 that were there in his closet. That's true. You can look it up. He had 20, he has 22 of these. There, look at that. Look at the gold and precious stones. Look at the gold leaf. Look at those large precious stones. These things have weighed from two and a half pounds to 22 pounds. You needed a neck of a football lineman if you're going to wear a 22 pound crown. Here's another one. There's 22 of them. The triple tiara. Every single one of these is three crowns stacked on top of each other. And I want you to see each one of those. But now we got to ask, What would Jesus wear? And what should the vicar of Jesus Christ wear? When the Roman Catholics use the word vicar, they mean a substitute Christ, the representative of Christ, or Christ on earth. 
And if they were really trying to represent Jesus Christ, isn't that the crown they should be wearing? Yes, right. Jesus never wore anything like that. Jesus never had anything like that. John the Baptist never had anything like that. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. The birds of the field and the birds of the air had places to lay their head, and the foxes of the earth have dens, but the Lord Jesus Christ didn't. Jesus told his apostles this rule. Jesus said unto his apostles, this is when James and John were wanting the seats on the left and the right hand of the Lord Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles, these are earthly monarchs, exercise dominion over them. That means over the Gentiles. Earthly monarchs of the Gentiles exercise authority and power over their Gentile subjects. And they that are great, that is the princes, exercise authority upon them. So to be great in a Gentile, political, military part of the world, you need to be in authority over people. But Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And the word minister is not an exalted title for the clergy. The word minister is just a synonym for the word servant. And whatsoever, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ would say when facing a picture like that and like the ones we've already seen. Why a triple tiara? Why a triple crown? Here's what they say. We're going to let them have their say first, then we're going to have something to say. First of all, he's the supreme pontiff by being one, the universal pastor, two, the universal ecclesiastical jurisdiction or judge, That's the church. That fancy theological word just means the church. He's the judge of anything that happens in the church. And third, he's a temporal power by having his own sovereign state or nation within the city of Rome. He calls himself the father of princes and kings, the ruler of the world, and the vicar of Jesus Christ. These are their suggestions. There's a lot of confusion to them about why there's a triple crown, but this is what they suggest. Or they say, the Pope is prophet, priest, and king. Now I start to get a little a little angry when I see titles like these given to the Popes because those are titles of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him only. He is the great prophet and He is the only high priest that we need and He's the King of Kings. But can we come up with some better suggestions for them? They think that He is the King of Heaven, Earth, and Hell because he can free men from the various places where they go and send people there by his seven sacraments. I want you to remember that there were three little horns plucked up by the little horn of Rome in Daniel chapter 7, and it is stated three times there. And he has been wearing a triple tiara for over a thousand years. I want you to know that he opposes God, he's above God, and he is God, according to that prophecy. And he is the unholy trinity because he's the devil's substitution, antichrist, for the true Christ of the Bible. There's there's some better suggestions. Jesus condemned clergy clothing. Clergy are the ministry. Pastors, priests, and so forth. It's a title we don't use. You know, you've been told that your pastor, which is just a noun, as I'm using it right now, should be called Brother Crosby if you're under the age of 20, or Brother Jonathan, if you're over 20, because the Bible tells us to call even the apostles brother. 
Jesus said you should call each other brother. And when Peter referred to Paul, he said our beloved brother Paul. He didn't say the Apostle Paul. That's creating a title of it. But anyway, here, let's go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 5. These Pharisees, they make broad their phylacteries. Those are things that they wore to show that they were full of the Scriptures. They were boxes they wore in their forehead, on their shoulders, that showed that they were very dedicated to the Scriptures, and they enlarged the borders of their garments, so they had larger garments with larger borders to show everyone that they were religious, so that when they were in public, they were not perceived to be ordinary, they were perceived to be clergy. They were perceived to be religious. They were perceived to be holy men. Now, if Jesus said that, that it's Pharisees, and they, they do it in order to be seen of men, and all their works are to be seen of men, and they make broad their phylacteries and they enlarge the borders of their garments, you would think that if a person wanted to be a Christian, that is, follow Jesus Christ, they would wear modest clothing in public. Well, the Pope wears this. That's one of his outfits when he goes into his massive walk-in closet and has men try to help him figure out what he's going to wear that day. Or he wears this. It's another one of his outfits. Here's what priests wear when they're in public. You know, it's always fun to see them in the airport or at the mall walking around in their black robes like that so that everybody knows that there's a holy man. Well, there's not much holy about them. If you look at their faces up close, you'd know that at least three of those five are Twinkies. And there's a high probability that they all are. You know, that's not speculation. I'm going to get to some statistics in just a few minutes. But, you know, there's a serious problem in the Church of Rome because the Bible has a solution for men, and it's to have a woman. It's not to have another priest living next door. You know, a nun's got to wear this in public so that they look like holy women, even though Jesus said that we're not supposed to wear anything that makes us look like we're holy when we're in public. You know, bishops wear this outfit. Archbishops wear this outfit. Cardinals wear this outfit. You say, where'd all those offices come from? I don't know. They just made them up. They're not in the Bible. Right. You know, there's, there's a bishop and there's a deacon. Two offices in the Bible. First Timothy chapter 3, that's all there is. Apostle, prophet, and evangelist has gone away because those were apostolic gifts. First Timothy chapter 3 doesn't tell anyone how to find an apostle, ordain an apostle, find a prophet, or an evangelist, or how to ordain one of them, nor what their job duties are. We have bishops which is a pastor-teacher, and we have deacons. The Bible says marriage is good. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. It's not good that the man should be alone. He should have a wife. Marriage is honorable and all. Do you know the Bible says that? Marriage is honorable. It's not that marriage is sufferable. It's not that marriage is manageable. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. The bed is a holy, spotless place when it's the marriage bed and you're making love with your wife. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So the Bible says marriage is good, and requiring celibacy, celibacy is you can't get married, which is a doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, is of the devil. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, and this is 1 Timothy chapter 4, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith. And in our studies in recent weeks, we know that this occurred several centuries after Paul wrote it. That in the latter times, and we live in these latter times, but this heresy began about a thousand, fifteen hundred years ago. 
The Spirit speaketh expressly. This is plain language that we can understand. That there would be seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. These doctrines of devils would be lies, and men having their conscience seared with a hot iron would listen to them, forbidding to marry. There's two doctrines here that are false doctrines and commanding to abstain from meats. Both of these are Roman Catholic doctrines. This is the doctrine of celibacy, forbidding to marry. It's what you promise when you become a priest or when you become a nun that you will not marry. And commanding to abstain from meats, that's on Friday, that's during Lent, and so forth. This is a express, plain prophecy of the Holy Spirit of God that there would be a departure from the faith of the apostles. It would be the result of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Men would tell these lies, having their conscience seared, as they would forbid marriage. So priests cannot marry, even though that the Bible says that. The Bible says this because the Bible is telling us that there is a church that has departed from the faith. Now you can't depart from the faith if you're pagan. You can't depart from the faith if you're Buddhist. You can't depart from the faith if you're Hindu. You can't depart from the faith if you're American Indian and you're some witch doctor in Africa that never had a wife but took advantage of all the women in the tribe. You didn't, you didn't ever depart from the faith. These are people that departed from the faith right here. They're Christians that would depart from the faith. But priests cannot marry. Nuns cannot marry. You know, the Bible warns about fornication. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. What's the best cure for fornication? Get married. So what do they do? What do they do? You guessed. Sodomy among priests is around 50% from Catholic sources. 50% of the priests in the United States of America, and there's thousands and thousands of them, are sodomites. The general population is about 5%, 1 in 20, instead of 1 in a 2. Ten times. Does that surprise you? First of all, God's given them over to strong delusion to believe a lie. Second of all, they've exalted themselves above the God of heaven. And third of all, they've denied the word of God and they won't take up a wife. There's widespread child abuse of boys. Familiar with that? Have you read that in the news the last 10 years? And many stories exist of abuse by the confessional when you have a priest sitting in a confessional booth and the woman is on the other side of a screen confessing to you her lustful thoughts. Unbelievable. This church is so full of abominations of all all kinds. And there's whole books written about the woman, the priest, and the confessional and what happens to women when from their youth, entering into puberty, they honestly go and confess the faults and sins of their thoughts and of any messing around that they have to another man. It's unbelievable. It's terrible. That's why our our fathers stood up against this church and hated it. They bought the truth and they earnestly contended against it because it was destructive of families and marriages and all kinds of relationships because of that confessional booth. And we'll get to that in a minute if you'll just hold on and, and I can, my finger can keep busy here. The Bible's Ten Commandments. Let's jump subjects. We're talking about, is Catholicism Antichrist? Well, the Bible's Ten Commandments are these. Do you know them in order? To get us started, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. You don't make any graven image. I don't care if it's a photograph or a statue. 
You don't make any graven images, and thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Those are the first three. Those are the Bible's Ten Commandments. First three. Now that one right there, we want to think about that for a second, since we're asking some questions about Roman Catholicism. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Do Catholics have any graven images? Do they have anything that's not a graven image? Rome has a big problem here, because look at the verse. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Is that plain enough? Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Is that plain enough? Nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Rome's got a big problem here. There's a problem. That's a statue of Mary. Oh, Mary conceived without sin, it says on the left-hand side, pray for us who turn to you. Yes, make no graven images of anything in earth, heaven, or the sea. Rome's got a big problem with the Ten Commandments because commandment number two says no graven images. There's a graven image. That's called the Pieta. You know, that's Mary holding the crucified Lord Jesus Christ. He looks a whole lot better than he really did. Uh, there's, there's more things that could be said about that, but we don't have time. There's St. Peter holding the, the right foot of St. Peter. There's a person in St. Peter's Basilica because the toes have been worn off by everyone kissing it. Rome has a big problem here. Now this is for the, the Feast of Mirth that we're having on Sunday evening because that's Michael the Archangel putting a javelin through the devil. Yes. What a cherub-looking little boy. You know, if you saw a real angel, it'd incinerate this laptop. You'd fall on your face as dead. You'd beg for mercy just seeing him for one second. Go read any account of it in the Bible. Rome has a big problem here. This is one of their favorite pictures, the sacred heart of Jesus. Isn't that precious? Isn't she a pretty girl? Wouldn't you like to take her to the prom? As long as she'd pluck a few of those chin hairs... Listen, Elijah made fun of the prophets of Baal, and we're talking about the greatest enemy of the church of Jesus Christ that there's ever been. These people call themselves Christians. That's not my Savior. My Savior didn't have long hair. The Bible says that to have long hair is a shame for a man. You ever look at a picture of a Caesar, anybody that lived around the time of the Caesars, around the time the Lord Jesus Christ was born, they had short-cropped hair. They didn't have hair looking like that. That's a caricature of the Lord Jesus Christ made up of the devil himself, influencing the seared consciences of Roman Catholic artists who want to paint a feminine picture of the Lord of glory. If you saw him, what color is his hair? When you see him in Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 19, his hair is white as snow. What are his eyes? Brown? Blue? No, they're blazing fire. What's going out of his mouth? A sharp two-edged sword. And he's girt about with a golden girdle. And his feet are as flaming brass. And he's riding upon a white horse. And his name is called the Word of God. This is not the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a caricature of the Lord Jesus Christ by the devil to disgrace him. Rome's got a problem. This is why the Lord doesn't want us to have images. Because men will corrupt the images. We read the Bible and we get a word picture in our minds of what the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. You know, the Bible frustrates the Pope so much. 
Because he, re- he reads the second commandment, Thou shalt have no graven images before me. And then he looks around the Vatican, he sees all these graven images, and he starts to beat himself in the forehead with his crucifix because he just doesn't know what to do. The Bible frustrates him so much. So he prays to Mary for help. And he asks his cracker God for help. Brethren, this is a monstrance. What does it look like to you? When you draw a circle on a piece of paper and draw rays coming out from it, what are you trying to symbolize? He is looking at the sun right now because he's worshiping his cracker God because they put the big cracker God that the priests get right there and that's where they worship it, adore it, kneel down and pray to it and enter into fellowship and walk with God. That's a monstrance, M-O-N-S-T-R-A-N-C-E. And so he asks his cracker God for help. They send his most loyal nun, his cracker God, and Mary sends his most loyal nun, who's got two dolls of the Pope to take with her to her room every night. And they send his smartest nun to help the Pope figure out what he's going to do with the second commandment. What's he going to do? Thou shalt have no graven images before me. Here's the Pope's Ten Commandments. He got a solution from that the smart nun right there. Here's the Pope's Ten Commandments. You say it's not, you're not being very nice. I shouldn't be very nice. Amen. I want to tell you what the Lord did to them. The Lord sent them strong delusions so that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but, ha- but loved unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 through 12. The Pope's Ten Commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, that's close enough. We'll let you get a by with that. Here's number two. Oh. What happened to number two? Well, there's number one. Here's my, here's number one. What happened to number two? Oh, that was slick. They went down to number three and made it number two. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Well, where's those two paragraphs about thou shalt make no graven images or likeness of anything in heaven, the earth, or the sea, and bow down to them and serve them? Where's all that gone? But they still call it the Ten Commandments. Here's the Bible's Ten Commandments, the last three of them. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. Number ten, thou shalt not covet. Number ten is covet. Number nine is bear false witness. Number eight is steal. Got it? That's the Bible's Ten Commandments. What has the Pope done? Since he's deleted a commandment by taking out number two, he's got to do something to keep the total at ten. Number eight, you shall not bear false witness. What in the world happened to thou shalt not steal? Number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So we've got covet, covet, wife. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. That's how he does it. Yep, they've got their Ten Commandments, but they got rid of the one that really hurts. He beat himself enough in the forehead, prayed to Mary long enough, asked his cracker God for help, and that nun came and gave him wisdom from beneath. How can the Pope do this? How can a man calling himself a Christian, leading a Christian church with 1.1 billion members, do this? He thinks he can change times and laws. Do you remember that from Daniel chapter 7 about the little horn of Rome? He thinks he can change times and laws. See, no Roman Caesar ever tried to change the times and laws of Bible religion. No Antichrist is going to do it because there aren't even going to be any Christians here. In the futuristic scheme of things, 
This is the popes of Rome. His look is more stout than his fellows. Do you remember that one? He speaks great words against God. Do you remember that one? When he speaks ex cathedra, he is infallible. Remember from the bishop's chair. Ex cathedra. Cathedra means bishop's chair. For a building to be a cathedral in the Roman Catholic Church, it has to have a bishop's chair in it because a bishop can visit, has visited there and blessed it. And when a pope sits in his special St. Peter's chair and speaks ex cathedra from the bishop's seat, he is infallible. And so he thinks he can change the Ten Commandments. It is their magisterium. This is a very important word if you want to be theological for just one minute with me. They call it the magisterium. What that means is they are above the Bible. The combination of popes and bishops of the Roman Catholic Church has the right, the authority, and the ability to teach doctrine and truth above the Bible. And it's called magisterium. And if you get into a doctrinal discussion with a Catholic and you press them to the wall with the Bible, they will simply at one point say, well, the magisterium overrules that. And you're dead in the water. You can't go anywhere with them because they have left the Word of God. That's why we don't leave the Word of God for anything, at any time, by anyone, anywhere. The Bible. Let God be true, but every man a liar, including the Pope and all his bishops, and including your pastor, and including your father, grandfather, all of them, let God be true, but every man a liar. The Bible has got to tell us the truth. This is as close as the Pope ever gets to a Bible. He holds it up and adores it. He's so excited thinking about reading it. Can't you tell by the look on his face? What does the Bible say about prayer? When ye pray, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, Jesus said, Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Heathen like to mumble words over and over and over again. It's called a mantra. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. That's what the Bible says about prayer. But what does the Pope say about prayer? He says, this is how I want you to pray. Children, I didn't bring one tonight because I didn't want your parents to be upset with me. And I don't know that they would have. But this is a rosary. It's got 55 beads on it. I want you to notice that right here is a big bead. And here's a big bead. And in between we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And it's that way all the way around that thing. There's five sets. 1, 2, 3, Four, five, five big beads. So there's five little beads, so that's 50, and five big ones is 55. And you pray that thing three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Ghost, and you've got 165 prayers, and the Pope wants you to pray that way. Now, when you come to a big bead, you can sit in the dark, and you can fumble this, and you can do it during church. I've watched people do it during Mass, sit there, and they can know how to flip off those beads. Whenever you come to a little bead, like this one right here, you got to say a Hail Mary prayer. That means you pray to Mary asking her, telling her that she's full of grace and that she can help you now and at the time of your death and that she's the mother of God. And it goes on. I'm going to show it to you in just a moment. And then you go to the next bead and you do another Hail Mary and another Hail Mary and another Hail Mary. And so you've got 150 Hail Marys to work yourself through. When you come to a big one, yep, it's time. Let's go ahead and give God a prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name and so forth. But that's a rosary. That's what they call praying when Jesus said this. Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Do you think that praying to Mary is a vain repetition? Do you think praying 150 times is a repetition? Okay. Then we're making progress in our understanding of how they pray. The Pope says pray this way. The beads you saw are the rosary. 
It is basically 165 prayers, three for each bead, because you go around it three times. There's the five stations of the cross, and it's, in our, it's for the, the Trinity. 15 to God and 150 to Mary. But Catholics will tell you, we don't worship Mary. Don't you worry about that. Nope, they just pray to Mary ten times how they pray to God the Father. What is the Hail Mary prayer? Are you ready? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. I like jail in the Bible better. Do you know what it says about jail in the Bible in Judges chapter 4 and 5? Jail is blessed above women. She's got a higher blessing than Mary. Do you know what jail did to get that great blessing? She took a tent stake. It was about 18 inches long, and she drove it through the head of Sisera, the captain of the Canaanite host. And then she went out and waved down the army and said, "He's he's inside here. He seems to be sleeping soundly. There's two chapters in the Bible about it. Amen. Jail's a great woman. J-A-E-L. She's a hero of the faith. She gave him milk to drink. She put a big thick blanket over him. He was tired from fighting all day. He went to sleep real quickly. She snuck up to him and nailed him to the ground. Amen. And you should read Deborah's song about it. He bowed at her feet. Yes, he did. And he didn't get up from his prostrate position. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, Mother of God. Children, God does not have a mother. Do you understand that? Mary's the mother of Jesus. Mary was not the mother of God. Jesus is a man. He's the God-man. He's Jehovah in the flesh. Oh, I hate that expression. Holy, Holy Mary. I'll tell you who's holy. It's God Himself. Holy and reverend is His name. The only one that ever ought to be called holy reverend is God Almighty. You'll never see here or anywhere unless somebody's doing out of total ignorance outside of our church ever call me a reverend. There's nothing reverend about me. But there is something reverend about my Father and there's something reverend about my Savior. Pray for us sinners. What are you calling to Mary for to pray for us sinners? Do you know what the Catholics say? They say whenever there's something serious in your life and you pray to Mary, she walks over to the Son of God, unbuttons her blouse, and shows him the paps that he sucked down when he was a child, and he she gets every request that way. But I want to tell you, we're going to deal with those paps in just a moment. Right. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. I th- how many mediators are there between God and men? One. One. Give me his name. The man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. Our fathers died for doctrines like this. Against this doctrine for the, the mediatorship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said this about Mary. It came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman. Now I've highlighted that word woman because women get sentimental and emotional about having children. And this poor woman in this company did that. A certain woman of the company lifted up her voice. She got all worked up seeing Jesus and thinking about the mommy that would have had him grow up in her lap, in his lap, her lap, excuse me, and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee. Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps, those are the breasts which thou hast sucked. This is a woman, this is the first Mariolater. A Mariolater is someone who worships Jesus. All the Catholics are Mariolaters. And John Paul II was the Mariolater of the Mariolaters unbelievably committed to the religion and cult of Mary worship. Blessed is the womb that bear thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. This is a woman's idea of creating a woman's religion where motherhood is just worshipped and adored in their figurine of Mary. 
But he said, yea, rather, yea, rather, that's a powerful statement saying, you got it wrong, I'm going to tell you how to get it right, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Amen. Do you know that tonight, if you hear the word of God and keep it, you're more important to God and the Lord Jesus Christ than his own mother because of her womb or paps. Come on. This, the Bible's so wonderful. We, we've had fathers, brethren, that had scraps of the Bible that didn't have the whole thing, but they would get their, their eyes and their hands on truth like this, and they would know that the Roman Catholic Church was totally wrong. Mary had many children. Do you know that? Can you prove it from a Bible? Joseph knew her only after Jesus' birth. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25 it says, And Joseph knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. Now just think about those words. Since he didn't, since he didn't know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, what does that say happened after she brought forth her firstborn son? He knew her. They had sexual relationship for the first time. We also know that she conceived from those sexual relationships after Jesus was born because Jesus was called her firstborn son. This is deep. This is deep theology. You've got to go to a monastery, thumb beads, and hug your neighbor for 10 or 20 years to be able to figure out what they think. His mother and brethren came to him in Matthew chapter 12 and wanted an audience with him. Do you remember? Their names were, we have them listed in the gospel. Matthew chapter 13 says, The brothers of Jesus were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And he had sisters in the plural as well by Mary, because Matthew 13 tells us so. He had at least four brothers, at least two sisters. Wonderful. You know what they say? Cousins. Stepsisters, stepbrothers, half-sisters, half-brothers. But we got a problem. We've got Psalm 69, verse 8 in the Bible, and it's just terrible. In this prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ... It describes them as his mother's children. Amen. Yes, thank you. Thank you. They weren't cousins. But the Pope says otherwise. He says Mary was a perpetual virgin. The perpetual virginity of Mary. She's called ever virgin in their theology. Regardless of her marriage to Joseph, she would have defrauded him his entire life. Regardless of Matthew one twenty five saying he knew her after she brought forth her firstborn son, regardless of his many brothers and sisters, and regardless of Psalm sixty nine eight, the Pope just says whatever he wants to about the perpetual virginity of Mary. The Bible says only God forgives. If we confess our sins, who is faithful? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. And it's the man, Christ Jesus. The Bible says only God forgives. The Pope says his priests forgive. And this is a confessional booth. Here's a confessional booth. The priest goes in here. And you can go in here and someone else can go in here so he can two-time on taking confessions. There's a little grill between these compartments in which you can whisper what you've been up to lately. And he can whisper what you've got to do to pay for them. He'll tell you, you got to go do a hundred Hail Marys, buy ten candles, or say ten Our Fathers, or crawl down the aisle on your hands and knees and kiss the uh, tabernacle at the front, or whatever he makes up in the way of penance for you to pay for your sins. Or he can say, you're forgiven because he's in a good mood that day. Or he can say, I'd like to know more. You know what you were telling me back there about having those lustful thoughts for the neighbor? Could you elaborate a little bit? How old was she? 
What'd she look like? I mean, he can do anything he wants. Here's how it takes place. This is their picture. There's a poor woman. She's grown up from her childhood, believing that this is the thing she ought to do, is to go and confess the innermost thoughts of her heart. Listen, wives don't even confess the innermost thoughts of their heart all the time to their own husbands, let alone to another man that is outside the marriage. Unbelievable abominations. The the Pope says his priests forgive, and we know that only God forgives, and you don't have to do anything like that. When we confess our faults one to another, we are not talking about confessing our innermost sins. We're talking about confessing our violations of liberty, our personal offenses against one another, and things that we're having trouble with that we need help with. We want someone else to pray with us for God to have mercy and strengthen us. The Pope says this is Jesus' burial cloth. Now, children, look closely. The Pope has this. It's a very, very famous cloth. It's called the Shroud of Turin. But can you see Jesus right there? Can you see even the thorns popping up on his head? Here's his kneecaps. You know, there's his hands crossed neatly in a nice place. And there's his feet. Can you see all that? This is, this is a big blanket, big towel, big cloth that the Pope says is Jesus' burial cloth. That they wrap Jesus in it. And because his blood was so precious, it just made an impression on it just like that. And they've had it for all these years. And oh, if, if to touch it, or if to touch a picture of it, or if you could pray to a picture of it, it's, such, it's got such power. But what does the Bible say? Right. You know, I've mentioned these things before, and I mentioned some of them on Sunday, but I want you to see the verses. Children, there's a great big controversy. Some people that aren't Catholics say that's a fraud. Somebody painted that. And the Pope said, that is an authentic picture of Jesus Christ. How do we know? We just go to the Bible. We go to the Bible, and the Bible describes what he was buried in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, that is John, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. Okay, so there were linen clothes. Clothes usually are something you put around your body. Anybody wearing clothes over their head tonight? No, okay. Clothes are what you wear over your body. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Do you know that for 500 years, for 500 years, men had to read the Bible. Brother Matthew raised this at supper tonight. For 500 years or a 1,000 years, men had to read John 20, verses 6 and 7 and say, why are those two verses in the Bible? Why is there such care to tell us that there was a napkin separate from the linen clothes. And that the napkin went about his head, and it wasn't lying with the linen clothes, but it was wrapped together in a place by itself. Why all those details? To prove to you, children, that that big towel back here, this beach towel, isn't Jesus. Isn't Jesus at all. Somebody made that up. Look it. I'll I'll show you another way. See his long hair? Sorry. Their Jesus may have been in that towel, but not ours. Oh, I love the Word of God. Do you love every word, every jot and tittle? Every word of, every word of God is pure. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Oh, Lord, you're so good. That is so wonderful. I don't need carbon-14 testing. I don't need a microscope. I don't need acid, chemistry, anything. I just need about a second grader's ability to read the Bible and understand John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. What is this? 
This is called a tabernacle. What's inside it? Leftover God. Left over cracker God. When they have leftovers after what they call Mass, which is the Lord's Supper, their abuse of it, their blasphemous substitution for it, they put them in there and they lock them up. And then you can come by and pray to them. You can come by and have fellowship with Him. You can get prostrate down the floor and worship Him. Yes, in the tabernacle. Yep. Ask any Catholic in here that was a serious Catholic, and they can tell you all about it. That is so important because you've got God in there. When, when that priest holds up that cracker, he turns it into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity. He's all there. You want to have fellowship with God? Hey, take an hour off for lunch. Skip eating. Fast. And go in and lie before the tabernacle and worship Jesus Christ and talk to Him. He won't talk back, but you can talk to Him. What is this? This is that monstrance again. What's right in there? That's for you to go adore the blessed sacrament. Those are their words. Adore the blessed sacrament. You go worship the cracker God. It's put right there in that sunburst. And they call themselves Christians? Where did they come up with this stuff? This is half Babylonian, half pagan, half part Jewish. It's a mess. It's a mongrel religion that's anti-Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never said anything like that, did anything like that. Every church has one of those. To put the cracker out on display so that you can go pray to it, bow to it, worship it, it's called the adoration of the blessed sacrament. And there he is turning it into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's the big one that the priest gets. Here's the little ones that you get. Well, I hope that no one in here gets it. Why are they round? Well, they need to look like the sun. It's not a crescent moon or it'd be Islam. It's round because it's the sun. What's this? Same thing as before. Right there is the tabernacle. See these devoted Catholics worshiping God? You say, I can't believe that they do that. How do they do it? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. You know, tonight, we thank the Lord for the truth. Jerry said he was so thankful to be here. He was sick of hearing about evolutionary theory. He wanted to be where the truth was going to be taught. We had Daniel Jones, a young man, say, Listen, son, I heard every syllable you said, and if I did, God heard him ten times. That you're thankful for the body of truth that the Lord's given us. We're thankful for the truth. They received not the love of the truth, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. So God, this is the third time I've said it. I'm still aware of that. God sent them strong delusion that they would believe a lie that they all might be damned. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. What's this? Children, I want somebody under 10 to tell me what's going on here. 15. 30. Yeah, the lie of baptism. Pouring a little water on the head. Unbelievable. How's that the answer of a good conscience? How's that a picture of the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? How's that a picture of the burial of your old man to rise to walk in newness of life? What's this? 
salt in baby's mouth because you got to stuff salt in baby's mouth before you pour the water on the forehead. Didn't you ever read that in the 67th book of the Bible? Unbelievable. The superstition and fables could go on. I want to tell you this. The, the individual requirements for a Catholic baptism run into many pages. They chase the devil out the left side door with a special ceremony for that. And they just go on and on and on. And they call themselves a Christian religion. They are antichrist. And there's 1.1 billion that think they are Christians having this done to their babies. What is this? Ashes in the forehead for Lent. Somebody in the front row said the mark of the beast. <laughs> if you ever looked at Hindu religion, do you remember there's, there's a whole field of study about Hindu religion and where they put those particular dots? One of them is right there between the eyes. And there's where the Catholics put ashes on you during Lent. Did Jesus ever do that? Did Jesus ever tell us to do it? Why would you want to put this sign on you? This is the sign of a curse. Why wouldn't you want to put an empty tomb? Or something positive and something good? How do we remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper? And with proper baptism because we bury a person underwater. What's this? I want you to look at the hat. When you look at that hat, it's called the Pope's mitre. But what does it look like? It looks like the open mouth of a fish. I wonder what kind of a hat Dagon, the fish god of the Philistines, wore. That's where he got it from. What do you think? Jesus gave it to him or the Apostle Peter? What is this? That's compromise. That's sickening compromise. That's Billy Graham with Pope John Paul II. I saw and watched myself an interview with Billy Graham on Larry King Live where he was asked by Larry King Live, do you think that John Paul II is in heaven? This is after his death in 2005. Billy Graham said, I have more confidence that John Paul II is there than I do for my own salvation. Quick, I know what time hold. Here we are in Rome. Let's take a quick tour of the of a little church. You know, the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill said that God isn't worshipped in temples made with hands. This is St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican in the city of Rome. You're standing in the courtyard, and this is all huge. A person, if I can find one, is right there. There's a person. Let's get up closer. There's the obelisk. That's a phallic symbol. That means it stands for part of the male anatomy. I'll leave you to your own imagination or to a Google search box when you get home, and you'll have to be old enough to even know how to spell it. And it's, there's one in Washington, D.C. also to tell you where their thinking was. But here we go toward church. Let's go to church tonight for a couple of minutes and see if the lowly Jesus is being worshipped in here with some simple singing, some praying, some fellowship, and some preaching of God's Word. Well, we just stepped inside. The big front doors are about 30 feet tall. And we're looking down this corridor toward this shape down here. And you've seen these pictures before. There's the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church. But we've got a ways to walk, so let's walk on down there and get a little closer to it. I want you to see the scale of these serpentine columns here. 
There's a full-grown, five-and-a-half-foot person right there. Let's get up underneath it. Okay, now we're, we're up underneath it. Can you see the scale? There's a man right there. Here's the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church. Inside, under that canopy, with those four serpentine columns. If we start with the first few letters of the word serpentine, what word do we spell? Serpent. Uh, totally appropriate. I don't know why they didn't think of it. But I guess they wanted some serpentine image there. But we are now under that canopy on the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church. Let's turn around and keep looking toward the front of the church. Now where would, where would a humble pope that wants to be like St. Peter sit? Don't you think he would pick this chair right here? If he was a humble servant of Jesus Christ, wouldn't he want to sit right there? Now I want you to get an idea of the scale of what we're dealing with right here. So let's get down a little closer and look at this altar. I want you to notice that here is the microphone for a man. There is a six-foot, five-foot microphone right there. Okay, and here's another altar. So we're getting closer. You can, you can see that this level right here is about six feet off the floor. No, it's not. It's more than that because... There's a uh, platform, another step, another step. It's about 10 feet off the floor. Let's go back and get a view of it. Can you see that down there? How much we're, okay, where's the, where's Peter gonna sit? Well, now that we're getting way down there, maybe he'll sit up front. No, where is St. Peter's chair? This is, why is this important to me? Because 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4 is important to me and it's important to you. Who opposeth, who exalt, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God and is worshipped, and he as God sitteth in the temple of God, making himself to be God. He sits. The man of sin sits in the temple of God. The Antichrist can never sit in the temple of God because there will be no temple of God in the future on earth except a church. Pauline theology says that the temple of God is the church. The Pope sits in what is called a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But where is the chair of the Pope? Where is the chair of St. Peter? There it is. Right there. There's the seat. There's the back. There's the triple tiara. Way up on that wall. Let's back up. Can you see it? There it is, right there. Do you think he's going to sit down here? That's 30, that's 30 feet up in the air. What king has ever exalted himself like that? Have you ever been in, in, have you ever seen pictures inside Westminster Abbey or any place like that to see the king of England or the, any other king's throne? He exalts himself above all that is worshiped. Right. What's this? Fornicating with the kings of the earth. When does a pastor make friends with the president of Venezuela? What's this? You're supposed to notice that someone's smoking. There's Benedict XVI offering some incense at Christmas Mass. What's this? A bale mass tree. Where did it come from? What's it called? What's Christmas? Christ Mass. It's Roman from top to bottom, and it always was. It was illegal to celebrate it in this country 200 years ago. 
You'd be fined if you didn't show up for work on December 25th because they knew what you were doing. You were laying out for that popish holiday. Listen, that's that's the biggest day of the Mass all year long is the Christmas Mass. Christ Mass. We're Baptists. We don't celebrate that ridiculous, whitewashed, Roman Catholic, pagan holiday in worship to the sun at the winter solstice. Evergreen tree. The Bible has a lot to say about green trees. Where is, what is this thing? That's an organ. Who do you think brought in musical instruments into the church? There wasn't a Baptist church in the world 200 years ago that had a musical instrument, nor was there a Baptist church thinking about having one 200 years ago. These are the, these are the reasons why we want to be careful about everything we do, that it's based on the Bible. What is this? It's extreme unction or last rites. You want to help this guy get to heaven? Then you better have a priest there to pop open his little lunch pail and pull out some of his cracker God. Hear the word of the Lord. Daniel chapter 7, And he shall speak great words against the Most High. This little horn that would grow out of Rome would speak great words against the Most High. No one's done it like the popes of Rome. And he shall wear out the saints the Most High. And he did with 1,260 years of persecution of our fathers in the faith. And he would think to change times and laws like he does has with hundreds and thousands of fables and heresies. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. One, two, and a half. Three and a half. 1,260 years Three and a half prophetic years of 360, 1260 days, a day for a year as we are taught in the book of Daniel. Second Thessalonians 2, 4. The man of sin opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's carried about on the shoulders of men. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats. Hear the word of the Lord. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, Revelation chapter 17, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations, and filthiness of her fornication. That is spiritual, religious fornication of corrupting the Word of God and bringing idolatry and pagan religion into a mixture with the religion of Jesus Christ. It is spiritual adultery and fornication, hand full of abominations and the things they invent. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. Notice it's a woman. It's a false church. Mystery. The world can't figure it out and the Catholics can't figure it out, but it's no mystery to us. Babylon the Great. Babylon of the Old Testament was the enemy of the Old Testament church. This is the Babylon of the New Testament. Under figurative language so that the apostle wouldn't have to write Rome there in in words that would get the church, the saints in the first and second century in trouble with the Roman government. Mystery. Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots. That means there's lots of little false churches that came out of her and abominations of the earth because she's the mother of them all. Why do churches have steeples? Why do churches call their pastors reverend? Why do they have an altar at the front? Why does a Baptist church ever call a table at the front of the church an altar? Because they're Roman Catholics and they don't know it in that particular point. That's an error. She's the mother of abominations of the earth. Revelation 17, 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. This can't come after the rapture to a futurist. 
after the rapture, there are no saints. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Everyone should read Fox's Book of Martyrs and know how many died at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church and the governments under her control. And John, when he saw her, wondered with great admiration. Now why would John wonder about a pagan government of Rome doing damage to the saints of God? He wouldn't wonder. Because that wouldn't cause him any admiration. That wouldn't surprise him or astonish him. To see some future cyclops of the United Nations that the futurist imagines going to come along wouldn't, wouldn't astonish him either. Because there wouldn't even be any saints on earth. What he saw was a Christian church. A Christian church that would make war against the saints of God. And he wondered with great admiration. And John wrote, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. There have been and there are right now God's elect in the Roman Catholic Church and the God, they need to come out of her and he calls them my people and there's a reason why they need to come out of her that ye be not partakers of her sins. That you're not doing what she does because what she does are abominations to me and that you receive not of her plagues because God is going to punish them. And so we come to this word of the Lord, brethren. We are bound to give thanks always. I have quoted this a hundred times to you in the last two years. We are bound to give thanks always. This is in the passage about the man of sin and the strong delusion to believe a lie. We are bound to give thanks to God. There's only one that can save us from the delusion. And that's God himself rescuing us from the palace of the devil himself and granting us repentance to acknowledge the truth and to deliver ourselves from the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him and his will. It is all of the grace of God, brethren, beloved of the Lord. The Lord doesn't love everyone. He loves the brethren. He loves the elect. He loves those that He saves from the strong delusion. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for sanctifying us by the Holy Spirit of God. And thank you for sending us the truth so that we don't believe the ridiculous fables and heresies that we just took a sample of. And my brethren, with that verse in mind, we have this two verses later. Therefore, brethren... Therefore, is drawing a conclusion. Stand fast. Don't let, don't be fastened. Fasten the truth in your grip, in your mental grip, in your heart's grip, in your hand's grip. Stand fast and hold the traditions. Don't let them slip away, which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle, because there was going to be a great departure from the faith and it occurred and 1.1 billion now believe that there's only 5% of the two billion Christians in the world practice the right doctrine of baptism. They can't even figure out the simplest doctrine of the New Testament. 95% of those that call themselves Christian don't baptize properly. They sprinkle, they pour, they do babies. They do it for the, for the remission of sins and for regeneration. We are blessed abundantly, but let's hold everything fast. It is my job to preach you these things. The Lord tells me I'm a faithful minister and a good minister. If I do this, I hope it's been helpful to you. I hope that you'll understand that sometimes we make decisions about steeples and have it removed off this church building and we don't have any art in here. We don't have any crosses or crucifixes and you don't wear a cross around your neck. It's not a good luck charm. It's a curse. And Jesus Christ destroyed that curse by dying on a cursed tree for us. And we shall live forever with Him in heaven. There's going to be no crosses there. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Thank you for your kind attention.